0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Episode 7, we talk about having a trauma kit and building our own trauma kit and the difference between a trauma kit or a blowout bag and a boo-boo bag or your typical normal first aid kit you may have in your luxury vehicle or might have purchased for yourself uh, at home. Uh, I'm going to share with you the items that I carry in my trauma kit and give you some tips and tricks of things to look for there. I want to get this disclaimer out of the way before we get started. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not an EMT, nor am I a paramedic. I'm just an individual guy who wanted to take the responsibility for myself and wanted to get some knowledge and go out and get some training. And so I'm certified in CPR, first aid, basic first aid, and AED. Uh, I've been certified now for several years, both through the American Heart Association and most recently the American Red Cross. Certifications are good for two years. You'll probably pay between $90 and $120 for the course, but it's well worth it. Uh, That'll get you, uh, I believe, both adult and uh, child or infant uh, CPR, basic first aid and AED use uh, training certification. Again, it's good for two years. If, you know, giving someone mouth-to-mouth totally freaks you out, grosses you out, whatever, there's actually a no-breath version of CPR, a variation of CPR. There's a website for it. I can't remember it off the top of my head without looking. But uh, it's all about giving those compressions to the to the sternum for the heart. Uh, the most recent uh, studies, findings, teachings is that compressions really are the most important piece, especially in adults, because it's it's just figured that if you're an adult and you're not breathing and your heart stopped, it's most likely because of cardiac arrest. Hence the compressions being so vital. So, but I highly recommend the full on program. Plus you'll be certified and that gives you good credentials and and shows people you're interested and know what you're doing. You know, if you're childcare person, if you're a personal trainer, or if you own and run, you know, and teach martial arts school, it's, it's a great idea. And I think in all of those cases, it's actually required for you to be certified in CPR and first aid. So go and do it. I've also participated and been certified in my county's CERT program. CERT stands for Community Emergency Response Team. And so I'm one of the CERT members for my county. I highly recommend this. Not all counties offer it, but you can look at your county's government website. And if they have it, you'll probably find it there. There's fantastic information, a lot of which you probably don't know. Like, for example, do you know how to deal with a train that overturns somewhere close to where you live and what that means potentially to your neighborhood, your family, your house, your surrounding uh, communities? You'll deal with uh, learning how to fight fire on a small scale, and you'll learn how to deal with basic trauma, shock, bleeding, etc. A lot of good information in that. I highly recommend it. And the best part of it is, is it's free program to the public. I've also participated in uh, some active shooter, active killer training a few times. And part of that training has been dealing with severe bleeding. As you might imagine, that's kind of an important topic, goes hand in hand with all this active shooter, killer stuff we're dealing with today. And so... Knowing how to deal with hemorrhaging, severe bleeding, and getting that stopped in those scenarios is critical. So I've seen it there. And last but not least, I've also been certified in basic BCON, BCON being the, uh, the short version of bleeding control, basic uh, bleeding control. And I did that through the Stop the Bleed program. And if you've listened to our podcast for a while now, I believe it was episode three, we talked about the Stop the Bleed program. It's fantastic. You'll learn how to deal with severe bleeding and learn how to use a great number of the things that we'll be talking about that's in my trauma kit that you should have in your trauma kit. Uh, One of the best parts about that program, besides the information you'll learn, is it's free, too. And you can reach out to your local hospital's trauma center and or probably your local fire department, and they can tell you if they're, if they're offering the Stop the Bleed program. And Stop the Bleed also has uh, a website, too. You can look up and learn about it. So those, that's kind of my background and the training I've received. Again, I just thought I'd take responsibility for myself and anyone that's around me. Dealing with severe bleeding is just one of the things that you'll come across in dealing with trauma cases, but severe bleeding and learning how to deal with that, learning how to stop the bleeding is so vitally important because as it is right now, severe bleeding is the number one cause of preventable death in trauma cases today. So if you learn how the ABCs of bleeding, which we'll talk about here in a minute, or learn how to apply a tourniquet, that can go a long way towards saving a life. So I'm certified CPR, first aid, AED. I've gone through and I've been certified in my CERT program with my county, and I've received some trauma training through active shooter training, which if you have an opportunity to participate in, I highly recommend and then I guess you'd say over the last few years, since I've been more involved and gotten this training and trauma and first aid, et cetera, I've had the unfortunate uh, opportunity to work three accidents, uh, two of which I was uh, first on scene. I happened to be first on scene. And the second one I actually witnessed and arrived first on scene. All three of those accidents fortunately did not involve severe bleeding. There were some boo-boos and some slight bleeding that I helped take care of until uh, first responders came on the scene. But when you get this knowledge and this information, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm kind of obligated to help when and where I can. I can't always stop. I won't always be first on scene. But I feel like I'm kind of obligated because I have the information and I know what to do for the most part, so... Uh, like I said, I, I guess it's uh, it's fortunate that I was able to stop. Unfortunate that I've already seen and worked uh, three accidents until first responders came on scene. So that's kind of my background. I'm hoping that me by me sharing this information with you, it inspires you to go out and learn some more, to go get some training. Again, the CERT program and the Stop the Bleed are free for you. And then uh, we're going to talk about what, is a trauma kit and I'm going to tell you what I carry in mine. So with that, let's get started. So what's the difference between a trauma kit and your typical old run-of-the-mill first aid? I don't remember how long ago it was, but I remember the first time I heard it described this way. You know, your first aid kit is kind of like your boo-boo. Your boo-boo kit. And then your trauma kit is like your blowout. You know, if you had a gunshot wound, you can't patch it up with the alcohol swabs and the band-aids that are in your first aid kit. You need something more substantial. And that's where your blowout kit, your blowout bag, or your trauma kit comes into play. You know, first aid... Lucky enough, some of these luxury cars and others now are coming with some basic first aid. You're probably familiar with the basic first aid in the offices that are required. You know, they've got some Band-Aids and some aspirin in them, maybe. And then you probably have either together or piecemealed throughout your house, you probably have some items that are more commonly found in your first aid kit. Like you'll find, uh, obviously, Band-Aids being one. You'll find little sw- uh, little swabs for bee stings alcohol pads um, if you're lucky you'll get an assortment of gauzes just your basics right and, and you know if you're really lucky you'll get a cheap little tiny pair of uh, inexpensive kindergarten like scissors and maybe a plastic Pair of tweezers. I don't know exactly. I guess those are for ticks or other things. But um, you know, not a whole lot to do. Much more than basic boo boo care. Hence, hence the term boo boo kit, boo boo bags. Um, So I'm going to tell you, uh, any of those are fine. Uh, The one that I actually carry with me is from AAA. But there's lots of them, right? Everybody's got a basic first aid kit. Some are better than others. I can tell you that over time, as you use things or even before you use things, you're likely going to want to replace items as you can with your own choices, your own things, right? Put some better band-aids in there. And that's a great place to start. I typically cannot stand and have not had much luck at all with the types of band-aids that they include in these cheap first aid kits. I guess the band-aids come out of China. I don't know, but they're thin. They tear easy. The adhesive doesn't last 30 seconds after you've put them on, especially if you happen to get some ointment on the adhesive, on the adhesive part of the band-aid. So the first thing I would recommend doing with your first aid kit is replacing those band-aids with a decent, with a decent brand. And, you know, I got to promote them here because it's a, it's a great band-aid band band-aid brand band-aids from Johnson and Johnson uh, make a band-aid called their tough strips. And these are fantastic. They either, they even make a waterproof version and I just can't recommend these enough. They're kind of a, tough cross-woven of some sort cloth-like material and the adhesive on these things is fantastic as a matter of fact if you have hair on your fingers or arms like I do sometimes the adhesive is a little too good when it's time to change out that band-aid if you know what I mean but the tough strips from band-aid brand are fantastic and if you switch out nothing else I highly recommend swapping out the band-aids for something decent like those So first aid kit's basic, but when it comes to severe hemorrhaging, severe bleeding or hemorrhaging, the first aid kit that comes in your car or that you have lying around the house or that's in the office place likely is not set up to deal with severe bleeding. And that's what I want to talk to you with today. So there's a lot of component parts to this. Um, The good news is, is that everything is relatively easy to come across today. In fact, most everything, if not everything that I'm going to talk about, you can actually go out and find on Amazon. I'm sure there's some other places that you can get the stuff, including direct from the manufacturers, etc. But you can get all of this on Amazon. You know, if you're a Prime member, you can get it all relatively quickly in two days, uh, usually. And You can, you know, with a little bit of shopping and looking around and searching there, you can put yourself together a decent trauma kit to have on your person at all times in the car, in the house, wherever you might be. So one of the things that you're going to want to have is a bag. And so what I've wound up doing personally for various reasons, uh, one, they're easy to carry and B, they're more portable, is I get these little uh, bags. And I've had some success, quite a bit of success, actually. I have two or three of them from a brand called Orca, O-R-C-A. I found them on Amazon. They're nice little bags uh, just by uh, eyeballing here, I'd say the bag's five or six by eight or nine inches. Uh, they typically have moly strapping on them, so you can stick things on the outside like knives or your shears, making it easy to access. Uh, they even because they're really designed to be first aid trauma type bags, they even include typically include a little first aid patch to put on the Velcro outside the bag, which is a nice little touch for quick, readily uh, identifying what bag has what, especially if your trauma bag is in the mix with other things in your trunk or in your house. So that's first. Like I said, Orca is the brand I've kind of uh, been working with. I think Condor is another one that puts out probably some decent bags. And look, you'll find just about everything you want out there today, right? Orca just happens to be what I have. So the next item, which is arguably one of the most important pieces of equipment, not only for the patient, but as if not more importantly for this reason for you, are gloves. And, um, you know, especially if you're allergic to latex, I've had a lot of success with Midnight, uh, M-I-D-K-N-I-G-H-T. They happen to be black uh, gloves. Uh, they have a, sometimes seem to have a little bit of texturing to them, but they are latex free. Like I said, I've had good luck with them. Uh, they fit my hands size, large fit my hands. Uh, you know, fine. The fingers may be a little long, but that's okay. The ladies may prefer medium. I think small would probably be too small for most anyone, but Uh, try them out. You can find boxes of these or cases of these again on Amazon. So got to have your gloves, especially dealing with blood and other people's blood more importantly. So I want to talk about what I have in this and I'm not going to go in any particular order. Just as I think of things, um, I'll mention them, make mention of them. And again, it's all in the spirit of, um, for the most part, in the spirit of stopping hemorrhaging. So one of the things you have to have is gauze and not just little three-by-three or four-by-four gauze pads, even though having some of those either in your first aid or your trauma kit's a good idea because like the accidents that I've worked so far, the bleeding was minimal and those pads came in really handy. Uh, But for larger jobs, especially for needing to uh, compress larger wounds where the bleeding is more, you know, more severe and there's a lot of it, or for packing wounds even, uh, you're going to want to go with something bigger and a lot more of it. So one of the things I have in my bag, in addition to those little pads, are these rolls of four and a half inch by 4.1, I don't know why 1.1, but they're four and a half inch by 4.1 yards of rolls of sterile gauze. And just to stop for a moment, um, sterile gauze you want to use when the wound is open, especially a new, fresh wound. You're going to want to use only sterile gauze. Now, look, if all you've got is non-sterile gauze or a dirty T-shirt, and you're desperate, and you know first aid's not, you know, first responder's not going to be there for a minute. Go ahead and use it because the miracle of antibiotics and whatever else, you know, we can deal with whatever funk gets contracted by using dirty equipment later at the hospital. So if you have to, you can use it. But ideally, uh, you want to have plenty of sterile galls. And these rolls are really nice because uh, they're all rolled up in, in easy-to-open, tear-open uh, packages. And they're nice because you can wrap up wounds with them. You can use the whole thing without unrolling it even as a giant compression pad to then use another roll to wrap around. Um, Or you can undo them and use them to pack a wound. And and we'll talk more about that. As a matter of fact, we're not really going to get into techniques so much in this this episode because, again, I want to talk about making a trauma kit and what's in there. Uh, If you missed our Stop the Bleed episode, which I believe was episode three, that talks more about dealing with um, bleeding and the different ways to do that, one of which is packing. So while we're talking about gauze, uh, let's talk about the ABCs of bleeding. So this is just foundationally basic. Uh, Obviously, with ABC, it's meant to be basic for the masses. So what is the ABCs of bleeding? Well, A stands for alert, and that basically means when you're dealing with hemorrhaging, severe bleeding, the first thing you're going to do is get on the phone with 911. If you're working with a patient and there's someone else free and available and is willing to help, it's always perfectly acceptable for you to give a strong command to a specific individual. Don't just yell at the crowd, even though you couldn't do that. Point out an individual and have them dial 911. Most everybody has a phone today, a cell phone today, and should be able to easily dial 911 for you. Worst case scenario, you're going to have to do it. But that A is for alert. B is for bleeding, and that's that's really about finding where that blood is coming from. And so, before you can stop the bleeding, you got to be able to find it. And so, this is where you know you might have to unbutton some clothing, take off some clothing, peel back some clothing, or even use a pair of shears to cut off some clothing in order to find the source of that blood. Especially if it's a, a, a severe hemorrhaging, etc. You're going to want to just you're going to want to find it, and ideally. You're going to want to remove any clothing in order to better apply a tourniquet or any method that you use to stop that bleeding anyway. So look for that bleeding and find it, which makes sense. So call 911 and find the bleeding. And the last one and the most important one is compression. And that's really the key piece. And whether it's a severe bleeder, hemorrhaging, you know, or basic boo-boos, You know, the number one way to stop any sort of bleeding is compression. And what that means is you're going to put pressure down on that wound, grab hold of that wound, put pressure down on that wound, hold it steady and firm as you can, and hold it there until it's stopped. And really and truly... This requires a bit of patience because what you don't want to do is you don't want to lift whatever bandaging you're using up again. You don't want to lift it up to see if it's stopped or not. If it's severe enough, the blood will continue to soak through the gauze or whatever it is you happen to be using to to compress that wound. What you're going to do is you're going to maintain compression and pick some more gauze and just place on top. And, of course, it's okay to let up compression enough to get some more gauze and before you put your hand back down on there to hold it down. But you never want to lift up your hands and look. It's not Christmas time. You're not checking the gift. The gauze will tell you how much blood is coming. And then you're either slowing down that flow or you're not. And if you're not, you're just going to keep grabbing more gauze and putting it on there. If it's stopped, then you're in good shape. But the idea is to get that bleeding stopped. And then you can wrap it up and wait on first responders to show but you want to keep good compression on there, you don't want to lift up anything you're using to compress because what you're doing with compression is you're shutting off that blood flow and giving the body time to clot. And if you lift up that gauze or otherwise or disturb that wound, there's a good chance you're going to disturb those clots, tear those those clots loose again, which means what? That wound's going to potentially start bleeding as bad Potentially, as it was when you first got there. So don't look, steady compression, lift up, add more, don't lift up the gauze, but lift your hand up to grab more gauze to compress down if need be. So that's the ABCs of bleeding. A is alert, call 911. B is for bleeding, find that source of blood. And C is for compression. And so with our gauze, we've got uh, rolls of gauze to do that with. Uh, they actually make a narrower width of these rolls, but you know, for for most wounds that are going to be causing substantial amount of bleeding, I think this four and a half width is a really good width to have and pack pack in your kit. It is a little bulky, I warn you, but um, it, it's good to have on hand. And again, if you, if you want to trim down because of space, then um, you know they they do make narrower roles and again you want to look for sterile gauze that's that's the key there one of the things that adventure medical kits is put out that's really convenient and again you know it may not be as much of stuff as you need or the best of the stuff that you need but or would want to have ideally but adventure medical kits makes these trauma packs paks with quick clot and They're fast, easy, convenient, and they come in this waterproof bag. Um, They're not all that expensive, and they come with things, just the basic things that you'll need. They come with 25 grams of quick clot, and quick clot, for those of you who don't know, is a um, blood clotting agent that when put in the wound, on the wound, it helps congeal that blood to form those good clots, which is what we want to stop that bleeding. This has a trauma pad, a 5x9 trauma pad. It has nitrile gloves, uh, which is great, and a hand wipe. It has some duct tape. uh, If you really need to gag your patient, just kidding. Um, It has a triangular bandage. It has some 4x4 sterile gauze dressing, a 2x2 sterile gauze dressing, a 3-inch conforming gauze bandage, uh, some antiseptic wipes for cuts and scrapes, and then, you know, this bag is resellable. It's actually got kind of like a, um, I guess, kind of a ziplock uh, mechanism on it so you can reseal the bag and put dirty gauze and uh, bloodied gauze or whatever in your gloves back in here to give you a convenient disposal. So these trauma packs, I can't recommend enough. I think these are in the neighborhood, if memory serves, between 20 and $30. I know it's kind of a rough range, but uh, again, really easy to find on Amazon. Uh, Just as a sidebar note, when you're buying medical equipment like this or any of this for this matter, except for maybe the gauze and the tourniquets, you're looking at about a five-year shelf life, right? Uh, They recommend replacing things every five years. I'll let you make that decision for yourself when and if the time comes. I will say that, you know, if you're like me and carry these items in bags in your trunk of your car, your car's out in the sun quite a bit, you're probably going to want to consider replacing them at some interval. And again, I'll let you figure that one out Uh, with my trauma kit. uh, There's a couple of little nice things that I include for myself. One is a light. And it just so happens that I carry a little LED pen light here. And, of course, you know, LED flashlights are probably as good or better. This is meant to be more of a backup because, especially at night, I typically have a flashlight in my EDC, my everyday carry. But just as an example, this is a little Princeton Tech Pulsar 2. It's an older model, but it's a little uh, keychain size uh, You just press on the side of it and gives you a little LED bulb. It's got a little switch so you can turn it on. Otherwise, every time you press it, it kind of turns on and off real quick with your thumb press. I recommend one of these or, you know, a full-on flashlight. If you don't have it, it's a good idea to have it in your trauma kit, which you should have a flashlight in the glove compartment of your car anyway. I also have, um, I make sure I have a knife with my kit. So in this case, I have a Swiss Army pocket knife to go with my kit. And then as I mentioned earlier, when you go to find that bleeding, you're probably going to have to remove some clothing and it's easiest and best just to use a pair of medical shears. Uh, the ones that I have here in my hand are from press prestige medical, but I know on Amazon, there's a bunch of brands. They range anywhere from $7 up to 35, $7 Might be okay, depending. Uh, Just follow the reviews. One of the brands that I see pop up pretty frequently that are around the $13 mark is a brand from Madison Supply. They seem pretty uh, popular and get really good reviews. Uh, So those might be an option for you. These Prestige Medical seem pretty decent. And then I've been following these, um, I don't want to say how new they are, but these X Shears X-S-H-E-A-R, X-Shears, kind of have my interest. They don't have a typical look about them, but they're supposed to be super efficient. Matter of fact, I watched a YouTube video last week of them cutting through some combat boots of some sort and cut through them like hot butter, I have to say. They have some titanium coated, which is supposed to make it slip through whatever material you're cutting that much easier. These are about $37. So I think their models run between 35 and 37 kind of pricey, but they're supposed to be really good. One of the things that you'll want to consider is what you're going to do with the shears to clean them after you've used them. The one nice thing is if you don't spend a lot of money on your shears, you don't feel so guilty when you throw them out because obviously you probably don't have an autoclave at the house to clean them up. If it's a family member, you might feel okay using alcohol to wipe them down, but you might, you know, if you wind up cutting up somebody, some perfectly good stranger's clothing on the side of the road and get them all bloody, you might want to consider just tossing them and getting your getting you a new pair. You know, hopefully you're not going to be working severe bleeding accidents, trauma cases that frequently. So spending that $12, $13 every blue moon shouldn't be that big of a deal. So just some thoughts there, some options for you. Kind of skipping out of order here a little bit. One of the things that I have in my trauma kit, which you may or may not choose to carry in yours, are chest seals. And chest seals are used typically in the thorax region of the body, you know, chest, belly, back. Um, these are for deep penetrating wounds like uh, a gunshot wound, a GSW, for example. And chest seals, again, all of this in the spirit of keeping that precious red fluid inside the body where it's supposed to be. And basically chest seals are used to cover that gunshot wound, for example. Uh, There's usually two in a pack, two in a kit for chest seals. One, you know, the idea being that if you had a pass-through gunshot wound, you know, say entering the chest, coming out through the back – You would then be able to put a seal on the chest and then a seal on the exit wound on the back and hopefully help keep some of that fluid in. I get that some people aren't comfortable with that because it feels like a more advanced uh, procedure, which in some cases it is. but that's just my option, and so there's a couple of brands, and again, really easy to get even off of Amazon, believe it or not. One's called uh, one name brand is Halo. You'll see those pop up quite a bit, and then the other one is High Fin, and I think both of them are supposed to be really decent uh, options. The idea being that you cover the wound, it glues down technically on four sides in some cases, and others it'll just. Te- uh, Glue down, tape down, if you will, on three sides, because if you have a sucking chest wound, you want that chest cavity to be able to uh, vent off air. And so that's why you leave uh, one of the four sides open. But at any rate, chest seals are an option. And again, that's anything, you know, chest, belly, that sort of thing. Packing a wound is generally reserved for the junctures of the limbs, so in the groin area, for example, or the armpits, you know, where you can't really make effective use, or even the neck for that matter. It's anywhere where you really can't make effective use of a tourniquet, and then your chest seals are for, again, chest and back, basically, chest, stomach, back. So I do carry those in my trauma kit. You can decide for that uh, whether or not you want to go that far or not. Because I'm not EMT or paramedics and I really don't have any experience in any of my training with it, I don't carry compression needles and I don't carry air uh, airway passage things because I don't know really even how, I don't know how to use them. So that's beyond the scope of this. Uh, if you know how to use them, then by all means, they should be included in your kit. But uh, I'm focused primarily on severe bleeding since I know that's that's what I know to deal with. Okay. One of the items that I carry, which is just a nice-to-have, but I recommend it, is carrying an emergency blanket. And emergency blankets are basically giant folded-up pieces of aluminum foil. Okay, not really, but similar. They're basically giant folded-up mylar, the idea being is that reflects body heat in, and if you wrap up somebody— that's in cold weather or in shock, you know, that's going to keep them warm. Or if they're exposed to the elements, it's a really quick and easy way, basically a Mylar sleeping bag, bag, a Mylar sheet, if you will, to wrap them up in and keep them warm. You know, if you had working a car accident on the side of the road in the middle of the winter, it might be really nice to have a emergency blanket to throw over the person. And they're relatively inexpensive. And, again, you can find various price points on Amazon and some other places. Next on my list, dealing with extreme bleeding, uh, hemorrhaging, that's one of my favorite things is the Israeli bandages. These are fantastic for a lot of different reasons. And when you see them, uh, I recommend buying yourself a couple. that make them in 4-inch and 6-inch widths. Buy yourself an extra one and open it up and play with it so you see what I mean and you know how to use it, more importantly, because it is a little different. But you can use these things for compression you can use them like an ace bandage and when you open it up and play with it the first time you'll see what i mean and if you didn't have a tourniquet you probably could even use this thing as a as a crude tourniquet believe it or not it just serves a lot of purposes and it's cool for a couple of different reasons and you'll see it if you get yourself one and play with it it has this little hook catch mechanism that as you're wrapping the material around itself you feed it through this hook and then back over itself and it adds extra. It's really what helps add extra compression down on the compression pad that's attached to this thing. And that's just brilliant. Additionally, one of the things that I really like about it is that ACE bandage material that you're going to be wrapping around the compression pad, the pad that's going to be used to absorb the blood and put compression on the wound, that material is rolled up, right? So it's easy just to unwind and wrap around the limb or whatever it is that's bleeding. But the nice thing that they've taken the extra step to do is they've put a stitch in it so that as you unwind it, you're having to break this little piece of weak, probably, cotton thread. But it's so nice because if you happen to let go of that roll as you're trying to wrap it around the leg or arm or the patient's fighting you, which does happen, Uh, The nice thing of it is, is that you're not going to drop it necessarily, at least the rolled up part, because that thread throughout the rolled up part is keeping it together. So as you're unwinding it, wrapping the wound, that thread will break very easily. But if you just let go of that roll, you'll see it holds on and won't let it unroll and roll across the dirty ground. And those two features make that really nice. Additionally, as a tip I've learned more recently, that Israeli bandage really comes in two bags, the outside exterior bag, which is nice, nice enough, but it's okay if you tear that open and take it out. It's still in a bag and it's still sterile at that point. And that's good. Uh, but that ins- internal bag, you can keep it that way. You don't have to pack them with the exterior bag. You can just take them out of that one. You're that much closer to being ready to use, faster to use with it. And the other thing is that I've also, a little tip that I've picked up more recently, is you can use that internal st- bag because it's sterile as a chest seal. If you don't have anything else, you can put it over a chest wound, that gunshot wound, tape it on three sides, and you've got yourself a makeshift chest seal. So the Israeli bandages are just fantastic tools in our arsenal. I highly recommend you include these. Even maybe over the before the rolls of gauze, uh, certainly rolls of gauze are easy enough and cheap enough to get, but you should have a couple of Israeli bandages in your mix as well. One of the things that I want to mention real quick is the use of Celox uh, gauze. It's impregnated with a hemostatic agent that helps again with the clotting of blood. And I carry a pack of that in my trauma kit. I think they make it in, uh, rolls, but I went with the Z-fold, which basically they just took the, it's a three inch wide piece of gauze and they just folded it back and forth into a stack of X width. They make a couple, or X length, I should say. They make a couple of lengths. Uh, it's good for packing wound. That's what it's intended for. Um, I suppose you could use it for compression if, if you didn't have anything better, but that's good for packing. And that Z-fold makes it easy to undo as you're sticking that stuff down into the wound, like a gunshot wound, and packing it up. Again, we won't talk about techniques here, but I would recommend keeping some cell know gauze with hemostatic agent in your kit as well. Last but not least, I want to talk about tourniquets. I know that you guys have probably been waiting for me to get to that and wondered when I was going to. Well, here we are. Tourniquets. There are lots of tourniquets on the market, uh, and I'm not going to talk about them all. The The ones that you're probably most familiar with are the cat tourniquets. These are by and far the most talked about, most popular, most referenced, most suggested, uh, preferred tourniquets out there probably, CAT being Combat Application Tourniquet. These are some of the oldest, if not the oldest tourniquets, or among the oldest of tourniquets, and they've had a lot of experience in the battlefields. So that's why I think they're so popular and get such good press because they've been used to great success in our military, which is the main place you're going to see and need to use tourniquets. There's some others. There's there's this RATS, which is interesting. Um, it's rapid application tourniquet system. I actually have one of those in my trauma kit as well. I carry primarily CAT. I have about three of those across different bags I I carry a trauma kit to the gun range, and it has a tourniquet. I have both a cat and a rat in my trauma kits in my car. Uh, The rats is also an interesting uh, option. Recon makes a tourniquet as well that smells similar to a cat. It has what they would argue is some enhancements over the typical cat. Um, The Generation 7, which I think is the latest Generation. The latest version of the cat is pretty nice, but the recon variation on it is pretty nice. It has Kevlar stitching. It has a finger hole at the end of the strap, making it easier potentially to cinch down. And then the windlass, which is the rod that you use to twist it up is actually aluminum, metal instead of plastic. Now, I think for a one-use application type of thing, the plastic that the combat application tourniquets use is fine, but the recons do seem to be a really nice option. Uh, Let me just say this about the cats and probably the other types too. You want to be careful... to avoid knockoffs. There's a lot of stuff coming out of China that look similar to what it is you think you want and subsequently have a real attractive price. Look, a cat tourniquet or even a recon tourniquet are going to be pricey, right? You're talking about north of $25, $25 to $30 typically for a cat or even the recon for that matter, expect to pay that much. For a life-saving tool to include in your kit, $25 is not that much. Um, there's actually the um, the Soft T, which is the Special Operations Forces tourniquet. It's another option. Instead of having a buckle to thread the strap through when you have to undo the strap, for example, it has a D-ring and a kind of a hook to catch itself back on just as an option that Soft T uh, doesn't, seem to have the notoriety that the cat does but it's very similar and i say that d-ring potentially could be faster than threading the strap back through a buckle so just some food for thought there it's about the same price but again the cat seems to be good to go to one of the newer ones that i've seen out uh is the uh swat t which stands for stretch wrap and tuck tourniquet the swat t stretch wrap and tuck tourniquet And it's basically a four or five inch wide giant rolled up rubber band. It has its, I've seen them, I've played with them. It has its applications. It it gives you a gauge of how far you need to stretch that giant rubber band to make it an effective tourniquet. But you could also use it over the top of a wad of gauze to help just put simple compression on a wound too. So uh, that's an option. I still probably would stick with the cat or the rats or even the recon, but SWAT is another one. So that just kind of gives you a, a brief range of things that you'll see out there. Again, CAT is the go-to. The original manufacturer of the CAT-like tourniquet is North American Rescue. So that is the authentic CAT. And so that's what I would recommend making sure that you stick with. And again, you're looking at the $25 to $30 range for any of these tourniquets that we're talking about here, give or take. The tourniquet is meant to go on the limbs. Uh, The idea is that you want to go at least no less than two inches above the wound, probably ideally three to four inches above the wound. Like let's say you've severed your arm or your hand. You want to make sure you don't put the tourniquet right at the point of of where the limb's been severed, but probably two to four inches above it. The reason being is, especially in the cases of amputations, is the sinew, the blood vessels, the arteries, the muscle will actually retract because it's under tension. And so when a limb is severed, that all that contents of that limb withdraw up into the body to protect itself. And so we want to make sure we get that tourniquet on high enough to compress down, it's a proper term, to compress down when we put that tourniquet on to make sure we can get that blood shot off. So we want to go high and tight. Ideally, we want to remove the clothes. There should be no clothes in between unless you just absolutely, you know, can't get the clothing out of the way. And then we want to make especially certain that we don't put a tourniquet over the top of joints because if we do, the tourniquet cannot necessarily get as tight as it needs to go to compress those muscles and arteries and such to stop that bleeding. So avoid the joints go above the wound two to four inches and get that thing on tight Uh, the patient's probably going to be squirming and fighting and fussing because it's painful to put on a tourniquet but just reassure them that uh, you're doing them a favor and keeping that precious red fluid in their body so with that, that covers everything that I carry in my trauma kits I'm certain it gives you some ideas of what to put into yours and what to carry in yours Again, it's important to differentiate the first aid kit from the trauma kit because they serve two different things and a first aid kit just will not suffice when there is severe bleeding involved. I hope that you never have to use your trauma kit, but it is great insurance and it's important that we know how to do those things and use those items that we have in our trauma kit either way. So again, look for that training, seek out that training, seek out that information and the best of luck to you. That concludes Episode 7 of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I want to thank you again for listening in, and we look forward to seeing you the next time. Thanks so much.